as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Steiniger. Today we talked with Ben Leonard, the Chief Design Officer at Wonderlist. Michael, what'd you think of this one? Oh, uh, this was this was awesome. Um, I really liked hearing about his design process, how they approach design within Wonderlist. They've always kind of been on the forefront um, with beautiful design. It's always been a part of their culture, you could tell, but it was interesting to hear from him um, what they do internally and how they approach it. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I agree. I think um, he said something that, that caught me, which was they don't really compete with other software as much as they compete with pen and paper. Yeah. And it's just a reminder that like we get so caught up in the idea of apps and software and all these tools that you forget what problem you're actually trying to solve with something. 
And so they really go back to the root of like, how do we make your life better and easier? And let's start with, you know, what you're doing, which is pen and paper. It's so true. Well, let's get into it. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Hover makes purchasing and managing your domain simple and easy. This week, I talked to George Diab of Working On about why he uses Hover. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, I've been using it for a long time. Probably 2012, I think. I love it. It's the prices are great. The interface is awesome. And... um, I still have a few uh, domains out in, in some other places, and it, it's, I'm just waiting to find some time, and I'll move them all to Hover a little bit. Yeah. Go to Hover.com and use the code SATISFIEDCUSTOMERS to get 10% off your domain purchase today. Matt, tell me what comes to mind when you think about starting a new product. Middleman, Git, Rails, Heroku, SSL, SSH, servers, clients, monitoring, logging. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Hold on a sec. Like before all that tech stuff, like basic day one, how do you start to reach customers? You just need a marketing side up. You need to start showing it to people. Okay. So start from, you know, sitting down in front of your computer. You've got this idea. You want to get the marketing side up. What do you do? First things first, you need to find a great web host. You want a host who's reliable, been around a while, and is pretty well tested. A host that's easy to work with and ideally inexpensive. HostGator is a great option for this. They fit all those criteria, plus they're offering 30% off your first invoice for all Rocketship listeners. Definitely go check them out today, and don't let something as simple as hosting slow you down from reaching your first customers. Visit HostGator.com slash promo slash Rocketship to get your discount. CodeShip is a hosted continuous delivery service focusing on speed, security, and customizability. You can set up continuous integration in a matter of seconds and automatically deploy when your tests have passed. CodeShip supports both your GitHub and Bitbucket projects, and you can get started with CodeShip's free plan today. Should you decide to go with a premium plan, you can save 20% off of any plan for the next three months by using code ROCKETSHIP. Go to CodeShip.com slash ROCKETSHIP and check it out. Um, so, Ben, for those that don't know, tell us, um, what is Wonderlist? So uh, Wunderlist is the easiest way uh, to get stuff done across all the devices you use every day, either as an individual or teams. So we are building um, a productivity tool that helps you to organize and manage all the to-dos that you have in your life and collaborate with the people um, around projects that you're working on. So, and, and for, I first discovered you guys I guess it was five or six years ago. Um, and it was always through being featured in um, either a design blog or on kind of a, a design site. Um, you guys have always been kind of forward um, on that design. I'd love to hear a bit about the kind of how you guys prioritize design and, and business at goals inside of Wonderlist. Sure. Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, and it, to start design and the focus on design and user experience has been part of the company DNA from day one, uh, simply because Christian, our uh, founder and CEO, um, really values it very highly, which is also the reason why we, next to a chief technology officer, we have a chief design officer um, that kind of explains the importance or makes the importance visible. Um, And it also explains how um, we see it from a business perspective. That means that in the end, technology and design shape the product experience for the user. And 
um, ultimately that means that both design and technology are in in are serving the business, um, so to speak. So uh, when it comes to how we prioritize, um, it really always starts with understanding um, what is the feature that we try to build and what problem for the user do we actually try to solve. Um, and that sounds very simple and probably like what everyone tells you when they speak about design, but um, we really um, have established, I would say, um, an understanding in our community, in our user base, that they feel like we listen to them. And that happens on various channels um, through our community support on social networks, through um, our email support, um, and also just through um, data that we look at um, that shows us the usage of the product. So that's how we start. And um, a second important point when we talk about design and what influences our design work is the fact that we believe that productivity software ultimately has been de developed and designed the wrong way for decades almost. Um, and, and that means ultimately most productivity software um, feels like work. And while you're doing work with it, it should not feel like work. It should actually feel like fun. It's true. <laughs> and, exactly. And so um, what we try to do is we try to develop um, a tool that is as simple as it can be and as delightful and joyful as it can be so that ideally people don't only use it for work only, but actually also put stuff in that they have to do in their, in their private life. And um, that in the end, they enjoy using so much that it kind of covers all the areas of their, of their life. Because then really, then finally you are more productive. Otherwise, you're just managing things, but it's not fun. You're not using it a lot. And we compare it a lot to um, gym memberships. You know, you have really good intentions when you start using productivity software. But usually after two weeks, you don't show up at the gym anymore. Uh, right. <laughs> And you keep on paying usually for, for a while uh, just because it makes you feel better, but it doesn't mean that you're really using it. You're really buying the opportunity to, right. to, to be better, but right. you, it's still up to you to do the work. Yeah. Right. And when we look at, um, at it really from a product and business perspective, that's not what you want to build. Right? You want to build something that people have an emotional connection to and something that people really actively use and, and that where they find use in, in it. Um, and that is an emotional um, component, but it's also just a really functional component. So you have a process for um, kind of looking at, you know, customer feedback and how people are using the app to decide on, you know, what problems you want to solve in building out new features. Do you have a process or, or have you done uh, much eliminating of things that um, become unnecessary? Yeah, both. Um, so, we we constantly, uh, that's part of our culture and DNA almost, we constantly, uh, in bigger iterations, we challenge what we have. And if you look back in, in time, and uh, Michael, it, it was four years ago that the company came out. It was fell it four? Forward, rocked, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so four years ago, uh, we launched the first version, and um, we solved quite a number of problems with it. And then as we grew and as the user base and the usage grew, we saw that some things didn't work out the way we wanted, and especially at that point, it was the cross-platform performance. So we made a really big iteration with Windows 2 where we fixed some fundamental things. And so um, when, we, when we look at 
um, development, then we look at um, both the short-term or near-term things and then also the, the bigger picture things that we develop. And um, both are based on user feedback. Let's say the near-term uh, things are really um, features where people um, write us about, hey, I uh, would like to um, create projects and not only lists. So um, we we will try and understand what is the actual use case for that. And then we argue a lot. Um, so the, usually the feedback comes in through customer support or through data we see. And then we start designing prototypes and we test them internally. We are probably also the biggest users um, on, a, on a bigger scale of Wunderlist. And we discuss it and we test it. Um, and so either we say, okay, this is great. Um, let's go and let's make this a feature. Or in a lot of cases, we also just say, nah, no, this doesn't feel right at the moment, and let's just prioritize something else. Um, up to the point, and that goes back to your initial question, where we also remove features in these big iterations, when we see that over a longer period of time, people um, don't use something um, in the product, the feature, then we remove it. Um, and it's, it's a good exercise, I would say, for each, or every team um, in the world to do that exercise, even if you risk that some people might complain. I think it lets you feel really where the pain of the user is. And I think a, a big problem when you build up legacy is really that you don't make that cut. And um, yeah, so that's that's kind of how we, it's almost a cultural process. And, and, and uh, a lot of people are involved rather than just, okay, let's just cut this out. It's not that fast. It's really, we take those things very seriously. So is that more of like a, a gut decision and a, and a group decision? Or do you have like some metric that you say, you know, if we can determine that like less than 10% of people are actually, you know, using this feature, then it gets cut. I mean, how do you kind of reconcile what you keep and what you don't? Yeah, it depends a little bit on uh, the feature itself. So let's say when a feature is more or less invisible in the UI or something that like a shortcut brings it up and more power users use it, then we the percentage of, of people using it can be low, but it's really useful for those. But where we are very clear um, is when things are visible in the UI. Um, like I said before, one of our principles is to keep the product as simple as possible. So um, we really try to optimize at that point for um, a bigger majority. We don't have one percentage, um, but we usually analyze a feature and the usage of a feature uh, very thoroughly, and then we make we set a cut. So it can be for reminders, uh, which is one thing that we're currently improving, and we're revamping the entire way how reminders work. Um, we really want to make sure that we build something that, let's say, two-thirds of the users really um, feel strongly about. And it, it is really the top requested uh, improvement. So we, we, we take the time and do that right. So you guys recently um, kind of made a version of Wonderlist for the Apple Watch. Um, I'd love to hear, what was, that, what was that like? So designing Wonderlist for Apple Watch was really um, a challenge unlike any other. Although we had developed um, an Android Wear um, app, companion app for our Android app before, um, Apple Watch really challenged the way we looked at Wunderlist and the way we develop usually for other devices. Um, 
And the reason for that is mainly the use cases. We wanted to design Wunderlist for Apple Watch specifically uh, in a way that it fits the top use cases that we see um, for this for this device. And, and one of that is, for example, grocery shopping. Mm. Um, and when we look at that use case, we really want to play on the strength of the device. So you have your hands free finally. You don't have to stare at your phone all the time and then with the other hand try to get something out of the shelf or push the shopping cart or do all of this in parallel. No, you just have everything right there on your wrist and you just get a glimpse and then you know, okay, the milk and, and you check it off. Um, and, and on the other hand, we think that in business, um, it's also extremely helpful to um, get an idea of what's up for today or get a reminder of your next deadline or your next meeting um, or simply uh, quickly in, accept uh, a shared list invitation. So when we designed for Apple Watch, we tried to not do everything that you can do on the phone but actually do a few things really well. And um, just to kind of sum it up, we see two big um, UI and UX patterns evolve in, on the watch. And one is uh, hyper-relevant notifications. Okay. The great thing about the watch is that it knows where you are um, and it also knows in which context you are. So instead of just pushing every single type of notification that arrives on your phone, we believe that we should really limit the amount of notifications to the most important ones in this moment, um, at this time, um, and make it really useful. And the second thing that kind of goes hand in hand is we really think that the UI part um, will almost evolve into an invisible UI um, we would like for you to interact as little as possible actively with Wunderlist on the watch. Um, so you get a reminder and, and that's it. You know, you get a little tap on your wrist and that's it. If you want to um, add something to your grocery list, that's great. Just tap one button, speak what you want to add, and, and that's it. Mm. Uh, or when you look at the glances that um, Apple Watch offers, you don't even have to open Wunderlist to see what's up for today. Um, and that's kind of how we approached uh, the design for the list uh, on, on the Apple Watch. Interesting. Were you able to use like location data um, to see, because you're talking about context, to see kind of where they are? Or you know, what was, um, how do you get that context in, in, the, in the kind of the watch UI? Yeah, so um, you can use location services um, that, I mean, right now the, uh, Watch app is a companion to your iPhone. Um, I personally believe that for wearables in general, this will change in the future okay. um, and they get more independent. But so you can use location data from uh, the phone to actually determine where someone is. And um, the interesting part will be to then connect that information to actually use cases. So I know that you're close to the supermarket um, and I should actually bring up the shopping list. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, if you could only get down to like what aisle you're on and what items you need from that aisle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you when you surf the web, I think there are some patents um, that that got granted to some of the big uh, tech companies that probably make that possible fairly quickly or fairly soon. Wow! Yeah. So that's... we'll see. I mean, it would be exciting. 
<laughs> so kind of, you mentioned the, the business and the personal side and how you guys are tackling both. Um, I'd love to hear kind of how that evolved. When did you guys introduce the, um, the Wonderless Pro version? Was that from uh, the beginning? No. For, when Wonderless launched initially, um, we launched a free version because we wanted as many people as possible, obviously, to use Wonderless when you start from scratch. Um, I would say that's the goal of everyone, to just get as many people hooked as possible. And I think our success um, at the beginning to reach the first million users um, kind of pushed us through um, to the point where we said, okay, now this is really useful for people. And our vision of a very simple and easy-to-use um, productivity tool is real um, and, and people adapted. Um, and then we could actually follow with step two, which is obviously important when you build a, a startup, is the business model. So um, in 2013, we launched Wunderlist Pro, which um, gives you additional features that you need as a, let's say, more active power user that can be your really productivity geek or you're using it a lot with your team. And then you have features such as um, assigning to-dos to specific people or um, we remove the file limit um, of, of file uploads things like that. So features that you would need in, in, a, uh, in a more active, uh, more collaborative environment. So that was almost two years, it sounds like, before you guys launched the, the Pro? That was, um, yes, I would say two years. Yeah, from uh, the, the beginning. Of yeah, the- exactly. Very cool. So, And did you guys use your existing customer base um, as, as kind of the, the early... Um, you know, doing customer interviews and, and figuring out what they needed? Or was this something that you guys kind of had planned that you knew at least the, what V1 would look like? So it's probably, it was probably a mix of both. Um, on the one hand, we had the idea to launch Wunderlist Pro and certain features from the beginning. And it was really a sequencing um, question how, to, how we go to market and how we make sure that uh, we get a lot of people on board. Mm. Um, and then just a prioritization, specifically at the beginning with a small team, that's uh, what it all comes down to. Um, but then there was also, uh, from the beginning, I think a very engaged user base that we could count on when it came to really prioritizing. So we had a bunch of ideas and long lists of features that we would like to add or wanted to add to Wunderlist Pro. But when it came to prioritizing, um, it was very quickly very clear that um, certain features was, were just more necessary uh, and more useful than others. So in the end, I think we tried to map our vision of where things would go um, with the requests that came from the users because in the end, those are the people that we're building the product for. Kind of when you're building these features, I mean, you talk about having a grocery list all the way to being able to manage a to-do list for an entire organization. Um, on the design side, how challenging is is it to have to take into all of those use cases um, when you're building these interfaces? Mm-hmm. Um, I would lie if I said it was easy. Um, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> the, the easy part is that, and, and that's something I think that in, in designing business software is always forgotten or mostly forgotten, is we, in the end we're designing for people. Yeah. Um, and we all have the, the same basic needs and we want simple, easy-to-use software. 
Um, the part where I think the design challenge lies is how do we design the core feature so that everyone is satisfied and can use it? And then as you upgrade to Pro and use Wunderlist in your company and in your organization, how do we enhance the interface um, in, in a way that it's still simple, but you also see that you have all the functionality that you're, that you're looking for? Um, what we try to do is um, usually we have extensive um, beta phases, either closed ones or open ones, where we try to um, early on validate the decisions, the design decisions we have made, um, and also the feature decisions. And we, like I said in the beginning, we really carefully look at that feedback. So it is not easy, as it is really a lot of work and iteration. But when we look at um, what's happening in the enterprise software, then it kind of puts it a bit into perspective. And the, re- the, the thing that we see there is simply that um, people have better software um, today at home than they have at the office. Yeah. The whole trend of consumerization of, of the enterprise software is just a buzzword for that. Um, and, and people get used to really good and easy to use software latest since the iPhone got introduced. And we see the adoption rate of the iPhone in, uh, in the, um, the enterprise sector or the, the, the business world. Um, and that clearly shows that in the end, we can really boil it down to people want simple and easy-to-use software. And that's kind of the balance that we, we, we try to find. I'm trying to introduce that into the workplace. And it sounds like you guys, um, you know, a lot of people use the, the use Wonderlist at home and then they they bring it into their organization um, and introduce it as a good solution for um, their, their work life as well. Yeah, I, I think one of the um, great things that we see is that people really adopt Wunderlist quickly for um, everything they have to do at home, from grocery list with their partners to house renovation to even movie list or vacation planning. And I think what they, what they find is, and that is even what brought me in the, to Wunderlist in the very early days, is, well, this is, this is really fun. Um, and I don't have too much work, and I actually stick to it for longer than just two weeks. And um, it helps me to, rem- to remember things and to get them done. So um, in the end, when people see that, then they want to use that everywhere. And why wouldn't they? And right. so usually we infect one person and that person brings it to a few colleagues. And from there, they share lists and they start managing their projects in a very simple and quick way. And, and then the company representative calls us and say, hey, I would like to purchase um, a company license. So do you guys have any uh, sales that you do directly to companies or do you 100% rely on um, free or personal users bringing it to the company themselves? What we do, though, is what we see is we have a Wunderlist for business um, team. Those guys are product experts that really look into the user behavior in companies. Um, they do a lot of demos. They talk to a lot of customers. And um, what people sometimes do is um, they write us emails and say, hey, um, I love Wunderlist and I want to use it with my team. Um, is there someone that I can speak to? Um, who can explain to me how I can do this? Not only from how do I just purchase a license, but what are the benefits and how do I implement it in the, in the right way in, in my company? And that's where 
um, we also see um, a lot of people um, in the end purchasing, they just tell those guys, hey, this is really great. So can I now have 50 licenses? Um, and that, that's perfect. Uh, the majority, though, really happens from like, natural progression and, and natural conversion from, from free to, to pro or business usage. Interesting. That's awesome. And have you guys um, worked on that flow then um, to get a user to transition? And now they have all these new, new features. Um, have you worked on that flow for upgrading inside of the app? Uh, yes, we have actually experimented with various um, with various approaches. Right now, we are at a at a point where um, we are actively working on making Wunderlist uh, a lot better for teams, and there's um, a, a lot of cool stuff coming uh, very soon. Um, when it comes to the upgrading, um, it's we we tried very pushy approaches where whenever you reached. Um, a feature that was not free, you would get presented with um, a pop up. Mm-hmm. But what we find is that the majority of people they are happy with Wunderlist free, and um, and that's great. Why would we bother them? Even if they accidentally hit um, a button or something, a feature that they can't that they can't use or don't even want to use. Um, yeah. We are now at a point where upgrading is super simple. You go to your settings and you can just upgrade to pro either through the app stores or you go on the website and you can become a pro um, and, and get a monthly or yearly subscription. Um, and um, in the end, in the app itself, you, you rarely run into barriers. Um, we send you some emails where we um, tell you about the incredible features of pro we have some promos um, where, for example, we, we did a productivity pack uh, together with Dropbox and Pocket and, and LastPass and even the New York Times um, some months ago uh, where we tell people about Pro and they can try Pro for free. Um, but we try to balance the, the user experience with the, the marketing side of things that we naturally need to have. Interesting. Um, so where do you find kind of your design inspiration for a lot of this, for, for you know, your everyday, um, you know, software design? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and uh, it's something that I sadly don't get the chance to speak about that often. <laughs> um, so um, there's, there are several things. One thing is simply... The, comp- the most, uh, the biggest experience currently that we are competing with is not software. It's actually pen and paper. Huh. Um, so a lot of people still write down their to-dos um, on, on paper with a pen. Um, so when we design n- new features or improve features for Wunderlist, we always look at, at that experience. And when you saw the latest updates with our quick ad um, on, on the mobile we really try to make the, the capturing as quickly as possible so that we kind of get the immediacy um, of pen and paper um, and, and kind of the lightfulness of pen and paper. But then we combine it with things like natural language detection. So you can actually um, add a reminder by just typing buy milk tomorrow at 6 p.m. Um, and then you get reminded. So there we add kind of the power of, of the software. That's Interesting. That's one, one big inspiration for us. The second inspiration, I would say, is really our own usage, the usage of our 
users. And, and, and that's, again, less the visual design part. I'll come to that in a, in a second. Mm-hmm. It's more um, about interactions and features and, and where can we make reminders better. Um, like I said before, it's an important point for people. Um, and what do people seek there? And automatically, we suddenly understand, okay, well, people also want to um, not only have a, a due date that kind of is an all-day event, they want to be more specific um, and reminders should be relative. Um, and then it, we have to get these things into the UI. And so in the end, we then come to the UI. And um, there we look at all, like a lot of places. One is obviously the platform paradigms and the platform UI principles. Um, but then again, we also um, put a lot of emphasis on creating a cross-platform experience. So naturally, you look around in the industry from Tribble to Pattern to um, whatever great software comes out to understand, is this a new paradigm? Is this just nice to look at? Um, but we really try to always reason from a lot of the, the core first principles of typography and graphic design. Our team looks a lot at just classical graphic design and, and illustration work and then um, tries to put it all together and um, kind of evolve the, the Wunderlist design forward. Because one thing um, that we see is really that when a product is four years old, you also build up legacy in, in a positive way. So you also want to keep the character of the product and, and evolve it. So um, it's really a mix of all of those things. Yeah, how um, That's interesting. You, you mentioned kind of using classic design principles, um, and yet we're in kind of a, a world where, um, you know, people are, are kind of turned off by college sometimes. People are, are getting jobs being self-taught. Um, where do you stand on kind of the learning the fundamentals and uh, how important is that to you? Yeah, um, th- that's a great question. Um, simply because the majority of my design team um, are actually self-taught. Okay. Um, at the same time, I am. Um, I have a very strong opinion when it comes to knowing your craft. Um, as designers, we are much more craftsmen than than we are artists, and so understanding and knowing the principles all the way from typography, basic color psychology, shapes, um, just hierarchy and order. Um, I feel it's extremely important to, to know that and, uh, and apply it in your daily work because in the end, that's what makes it great. You can make something that's pretty, but it doesn't mean it's functioning well or just you can take pride in the way it is made. Um, it's solid, you know, like a solid foundation for a nice and beautiful house. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, when it comes to the question self-taught versus art college, if you want, mm-hmm. um, I think it doesn't matter. I personally um, believe that a lot of the art college education that we see that goes beyond the basics is outdated. Um, learning the basics there can be useful. Um, but we have a designer that I hired right from high school. He was 17. And he had an incredible sense for design. Um, and we spent uh, quite some time together and, and invested as a company in, in his education, if you want. Um, and he turns out to be an incredible asset for us. So I think the, the, the lines there or the importance of classic education, isn't, it's not important anymore. It's, 
more about do you know everything you need to know to be successful in, in your career as a designer. Absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like kind of the, the internship is, is coming back in a, in a, a very important way where it used to be just making coffee. Um, you know, you took him under your wing and kind of, you know, molded him as a, as a designer. And it sounds like that may be more of what's needed in these creative fields. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a great idea um, to to do that. I think I really believe a lot of more a lot more companies should do that um, for various reasons. Um, my point there is, and that's very important, is really that when you hire someone to start very young as an intern or as a very junior person, you have a responsibility to to make them great. And it's not just to hire someone who is cheap or has a low salary and does the shitty work. I've, the way we hire here is really with the goal that that person becomes a full-time employee after the internship ended or we want to make that person really good in their job so that after a short amount of time they can really succeed in their career. Um, and that's just a personal belief of mine. Uh, but I think it's really important when we talk about internships or the internship coming back. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's very important. And we're, it's in such an exciting time. Um, so it's always interesting to hear how, uh, like you guys are approaching it and how you deal with it. Are you self-taught, um, yourself or did you attend, uh, like a, a art college? I went to art college, um, but through my entire art college, um, my years in art college, actually, I was working. So I always had kind of the, the dual experience. And before I went to art college, um, right after high school, I did a two-year apprenticeship, uh, which was paid and I loved to graft. I, I had the chance to, to learn from a typographer and lithographer. Oh, so wow. I actually, when I started, I, I set um, yeah, ads, if you want, advertising um, in, in film, like really the, the actual film. Um, and I had the chance to do some, some letter pressing and typesetting and uh, understand why the curves in Photoshop are so important when you do um, retouching and stuff right. like that. Um, and that, that actually shaped my, my core understanding of, of us as designers being craftsmen uh, more than artists. Yeah. That's really cool. That's uh, an incredible opportunity. Wow. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on and um, and sharing this with us. Where can we keep up with you and where can we get Wonderlist? Um, so thank you very much first. Um, it was great. Um, you have asked me a lot of great questions that usually no one asks me and that's amazing. <laughs> um, you. And um, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, um, my handle is at blenard. Um, I hope you can find that somewhere on the website. We'll link, uh, yeah. You can re uh, read my blog post in my blog, which is uh, www.benedict-leonard.de or .com, whatever you prefer. Very cool. And and for, for Wonderlist, it's in the App Store, right? You can find Wonderlist in all the App Stores across the world, in China, in Japan, in America. Um, you can download it from our website, uh, wonderlist.com. And yeah, I think that's it. It's free. Awesome. Yeah. And it, it's a fantastic product. Um, well, so. thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much. Cool. Thanks, Ben. This thank was great. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And make sure to check out our app discount section, where we feature discounts from amazing companies like Treehouse, Wistia, Woo Themes, all giving you exclusive discounts for being a Rocketship listener. So go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials. I just need to find my home